You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Today is Sunday, June 12th, week 9 in Romans, the Declaration. Aaron's with us at both campuses this week, preaching through Romans chapter 7. He makes the case that sin and self are not the same thing, that we are not the person sin says we are, and perhaps most importantly, that we do not have to work through this struggle alone. We are in Romans chapter 7, and we're going to try to tackle the whole chapter today. And I'm nervous because this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And so trying, having enough to say is not going to be the problem for this one. Trying to narrow it down and say the right things is really significant for me. uh, Because this is really critical that we get the ideas that we're going to convey today. And so today where we're going to begin is in the beginning, which is always a good place to begin, right? In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And so we see this, this separation, these two things, this, the earth, this soil, physicality, and then we have the heavens, the spiritual, the uh, whatever else, the metaphysical, whatever you want to call it, there's this thing. And then in the creation poem, which is what it is, it's a poem, these things gradually work themselves closer together until God makes Man, And then when God makes man, he says, I think I can do one better. Can I get a witness from my sisters? <laughs> uh, that's funny. I don't care who you are. It's funny right there. So God makes mankind. Mankind becomes the perfect union of soil and spirit, physical and spiritual, this flesh that the Bible describes, and yet this spiritual thing alive in us. And this is called, in doctrinal terms, the Imago Dei, the image of God, this piece of God, this piece of the divine that lives in us. And so what we see as the story moves along is that in Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to a snake, a walking talking snake that doesn't surprise Eve, which raises a whole other set of questions. Um, but that's another sermon for another day. And this snake tries to invite Eve to eat the fruit. Now, the question that we want to tackle on a very surface level today is why? Why does she invite, or why does the snake invite Eve to eat the fruit? And, and the rabbis have a field day with this. There's tons about it in the rabbinic literature. One of the things that they'll say is that the snake tries to get Eve to mess up because the snake is trying to take their position as ruler of creation. The snake, by the way, when it says that they're naked and unashamed, and then it says in verse, uh, that's the end of chapter two, then in the next verse, chapter three, verse one, it says that the snake is the most crafty of all the animals. The word for snaked and the word for, uh, snaked, naked, <laughs> that's <laughs> snaked, that's funny. The word for naked and the word for crafty, guess what? Same word. Let that blow your mind, right? So what, what, think about this. Like, if the, if the snake wants their position, well, what's the problem with that? And this is a question that we wrestle with in our culture. Like, what's the difference between humans and animals? What's the difference? What's the difference between humans and the rest of creation? Why is it that humans were given this capacity to manage, steward, rule, have dominion over all of creation? What's going on there? Okay, well, think about this for a second. Let's say that 
uh, you go up to an apple tree and you say, hi, apple tree, I have this friend here, Bill, this friend, Sam, Joe, whatever, this friend here is allergic to apples, apple trees, so for the good of the community, I would like for you to stop producing apples. Guess what the apple tree is going to do? It's going to continue to produce apples. You know why? Because it's the only thing it can do. It, it can only do what it was created to do. It can only, it can only follow its impulses, its whatever plant desires it has. But it's not limited to plants. It's not limited to that. Think about this. If we were to walk up to a lion, my, son, my, my, Bill, my friend Bill or Sam or Joe or whatever, we walk up to this lion and we say, lion, if you were to eat him, you would hurt him. So I would like you to stop eating meat and so that you would stop hurting Sam or Bill or Joe or whoever this is, right? What's going to happen? The lion's going to eat him, right? Like that's because a lion can only do what its impulses tell it to do. It can only, it is a victim of its instincts. It is only, it's created to function a certain way and it does what it's created to do. See, the problem with the snake ruling over all of creation, at least at one level, is it could only be self-serving. Humans have been given this unique capacity in creation that we can choose to lay down our rights, our agenda, our desires, for the well-being of those around me. And this is kind of what Paul's alluding to in Romans chapter 6, these acts that lead to life and these acts that lead to death. And we've been talking about this in the process of, um, it's not just about the moral code, it's about the reality that there are things that we choose to do that are always going to lead to life. And there are things that we choose to do that are always going to lead to death. And we can lay down our desires to do those things that lead to death in order to be able to take hold of life, not just for us, but for everyone around us and generationally people that are in our family and people that are around them. When we have acts that lead to life, we affect generationally acts that lead to life. You're with me. This is what Paul's been talking about. And so, the question that we're going to wrestle with today, and this is something that's really critical to me, and we're going to kind of pick it up in two parts, this week and next week. Um, today, what we're going to wrestle with is, if I know, I know in my head that those acts that lead to death, I know that they lead to death. I know it. Anybody who can look through a window can tell you that that act, uh, the, I use, there's lots of simple examples of that, right? Like if, if I'm going to, there's no, there's no successful, like, I was strung out on opium and it worked out well for me, right? There's, there's, never, one of, there's never a moment where it's an act that leads to death and it always leads to death because it leads to death. You can't walk down a path that leads to death and expect God to bring life to it and then get mad at him when it doesn't work out. It just, that's not how things go. God says, you, here's life. I set before you life and death. Choose right? So that's been Romans 6, and it's kind of the first part of Romans 7 as well. But if I know this in my head, I know that acts that lead to death lead to death. I know that acts that lead to life lead to life. I know it. So why do I want to do the wrong thing so bad? Right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Why? I mean, I know it's bad. I know it's going to lead to bad, but man, I want to. Really want to. Why? Why do I have that desire, that strong 
pool. And so what we're going to address today is kind of where does that come from? And then today what we want to identify is specifically understanding the lies and where they come from. Next week we're going to talk about the power to overcome the lies. Okay? So you're going to have to come next week too. I mean, <laughs> come to church two weeks in a row. Be careful, we might call it a habit. We don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years, right? So, <laughs> so this, this saying in our culture, like, well, I know, I know I'm supposed to do the right thing, but, you know, I'm, I, I'm only human, right? Flesh and blood, a man. I'm only human, born to make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. So um, now we all know why I'm not on the worship team. But that, like, that's how we act. Like, whoa, you know, I know I'm supposed to do that. And we treat Romans 7 this way. We treat it this way. Where we're like, well, yeah, I know. Basically, and if you read even commentators, they're like, well, basically what it's saying is Paul's saying you're supposed to do the right thing, but we know you're going to blow it. No, not even close. Not even close. It's not what Paul's saying. So we're going to talk about that, okay? Let's, let's start in Romans 7. We're going to skip a chunk of what's in your notes because I want to introduce you to verse 1. This is important for us, verse 1. So let's read verse 1. Or don't you know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So he's going to give us another example, which we're not going to address. It's in your notes, but we're going to skip it. What he says here is, I am speaking to those who are under the law. Now, from Paul's perspective, who is that? Jewish people. The reason why that matters is not because of Jewish Christian relationships. It's because what Paul is saying is, I'm talking to people who ought to know better. I'm talking to people who have a foundation, who've spent time, they've, they've been Christianificated. I don't want to get all technical on you. But these are people that have been, these are people that have a foundation. These aren't new kids on the block. They're not hanging tough. These are people... The, keep up, keep up. The music jokes today, keep up. <laughs> I have, these, I've got a lot of joke grenades today, apparently. I throw them out there and got to wait 10 seconds for you to get them. But uh, these are people that have got much experience in what it means to walk with the Lord. These understand the word. These have been taught the principles of the scriptures. These are people that understand. So what Paul is saying is, what I'm about to share with you is really something that those of us that have been Christians for a while ought to understand. And the problem is, we don't talk about it this way, and it's, it concerns me because what we do is we believe we're victims of our human nature. I'm only human, like what do you expect? No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not only human. You are the perfect union of soil and spirit. There is a human component to you, no doubt, but you are not only human. You're not. There is a piece of you that is more, and that's what God cares about redeeming because the flesh bag that you walk around in is gonna rot. For all of you guys that struggle with your body image, you're like, praise Jesus, right? right? 
seriously, like this does not make me me. The truth of me is something much deeper, broader, more profound. And when I feed the truth of what that is, it becomes eternal. And that's important for us to get. So let's, let's jump in here. We're going to pick it up in about verse 7. Here's what it says. What then shall we say is the law sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet the law, covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. So what he's saying is, look, the law is not bad. It's not evil. It's not like, well, then throw out all the rules. No, it's not bad. The law helped me understand several things. Number one is the law reveals the nature of God. We talked about this over the last couple of weeks. The law shows us what God's like. But the law also shows us what acts that lead to life look like and what acts that lead to death look like. But it's not about our ability to keep the rules. It's about understanding what's at stake when we do the things we do. Okay? Uh, but sin, circle that. If you're taking notes, if you've got a pen, circle that. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. But I, I was once alive apart from the law. <clears throat> but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, circle that, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, circle that, producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. And this is where we get into the great tongue twister of all of Scripture. In fact, uh, somebody between services, this is hilarious, came up to me and he said, my pastor back home, and I never know what I'm going to get after that statement, but my pastor back home preached on this passage and he called it the doobie-doobie-doo passage because it's like doobie-doobie-doo. You'll see what I'm saying in just a minute. For what I do not want to, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it. Underline that. It is no longer I who do it. It is sin dwells that dwells within me. Underline that. Paul makes a radical distinction here that is critical for us to get. It's not me doing it. It's sin doing it in me. They are not, I, they're not the same thing, okay? For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do want is what I keep on doing. <sighs> now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, underline that, but it's the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You should go, yes. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Underline that last sentence. With my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Like, there's this thing that's at war in me, and I know, like, I know that when I make the wrong decision, it's the wrong decision, and it's not gonna go anywhere good. I know that, 
right? You, you know that. You, you don't have to look very far down the road to, to know that a poor choice is going to turn out poorly. We don't have to, it's it just gonna. But then there's this other part of me that's like, but I really wanna. And so maybe this time will be the one time that God didn't think through when he thought about this laws of sin, laws of death. Maybe this will be the loophole. And the answer is, no, that's not true. What is Paul talking about here? It's really critical that we catch what's going on in this passage. Because if we don't get it right, we start to believe that we are the lie that sin tells us. And that's not true. You are not what sin says you are. Hear me. You are what God says you are. And that's not the same thing. What sin says you are is not enough, insufficient. Uh, I will always come up short. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not, I don't have enough status. I don't have the right job. I don't have the right house. I don't have the right car. I don't have the, I, I'm, Sin reminds me of everything that culture says I'm not. And the truth is, we line up 15 categories where uh, there's a measure of what's the best. And I might even hit three or four of those. But what we fixate on is all the places where we fall short. Because that's what sin invites us to. You are not enough. You're a mess. You're a mistake. You're wounded. You're used. You're whatever. You are that. Now, sometimes it's sin of my own choice. Sometimes it's sin of other people's choices done to me. Sometimes it's a combination of both. And where did it begin and how do you unravel all that? Sometimes it becomes a chicken or the egg argument, to be honest with you. It doesn't matter where it comes from. The root of it is always sin. And the answer is always to take hold of the truth of what God says you are. What God says you are is the truth. You're just like, oh. Do you understand the freedom that comes from owning that? The hope, the healing that can come from taking hold of what God says you are? Do you, do you understand that God, the Bible says this about you. You're, you're kind of a big deal. I don't know if you know this. Your house smells of leather-bound books and rich mahogany. I, you are a big deal. You're a really big deal. The Bible says that God knit you together in your mother's womb. Do you know that? Do you know what that means? Here's what that means. When you were conceived, God looked all over the whole world and he asks this question. What does the world need? And then he went into your mother's womb and he made it. You're a gift that God made the world. You're a gift that God gave to the world. Now, you know, that's, you don't know me. I don't have to. That's what the Bible says you are. It's what the Bible says, you are a gift that God gave the world. 
He's like, man, the world needs somebody just like this. And he was like, bam. Now, I don't, I don't want to get all technical on you. It, you know, I don't know how he creates. <laughs> just work with me. You are a gift that God gave the world. You have to know that. Because if you don't believe that, then you're subject to all the lies that the world... When we're like, what am I? Who am I? How am I? Like, what is it that is really me? What, what makes the difference about me and my life? Like, well, how do I function in this world? What you start to believe is a lie that the world tells you, that you're insufficient or you're not enough or you're wrong or you're bad or you're evil. You're not. You're not. Now, there's this thing in you, there's this flesh in you that longs for that temporary thing because you're this perfect union of soil and spirit. But understand this, the desire to believe that lie comes from the part of you that is temporary. And there is a piece of you that's temporary and it is, and it will go away. The flesh bag is going to rot. I got good news. The flesh bag's rotting. One day I will have a glorified body and watch out because my glorified body is going to be hot. I will be awesome one day. Now I get this mess to try to deal with. But like, why would I even want to like cater to this at all? Like what a mess, right? But, but here's the thing. I'm not this. I'm not this. And I'm not what the world says about this. I am what God says I am. And that is course altering for you if you'll own it. Because where, if I believe that I'm this, then I'm predicated on the presupposition that I am insufficient. That's a lot of really big words. If I believe what the world says about me, this physical self, then everything that I do is built on a lie that I am not enough. I'm not muscular enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not bigger, faster, whatever, whatever, whatever. Believe the lie but if I am what God says I am, then I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be lost and floundering. Because you know what else the Bible says about you? So cool. What else the Bible says about you is that God marks your steps. So think about this. God knit you together in your mother's womb. You're a gift that God gave the world. And he created a path for you to walk. That is the perfect path to maximize everything that makes you, you. And on that path, we find hope and freedom and healing, contentment, fulfillment, peace, joy, patience, gentleness, kindness. We find that on that path. Sounds like a really crappy way to build a life, right? <laughs> That's what God offers us if we'll believe the truth of what he says we are. And there are a lot of us that have come from a lot of different places where we carry deep wounds and sometimes we know where the wounds come from and sometimes we don't even know what the wounds, where they come from and we don't even know what the wounds are sometimes. Like we don't even know how to put a name on it. But here's what I want to say. 
Paul in Romans 7 is not trying to call you just a sinner who will never add up. Here's what he's saying to you. For those of you that walked in here this morning, wounded. For those of you that walked in here this morning, hurt, alone. For those of you that walked in here this morning, insufficient. For those of you that walked in here this morning, believing that the only good that's in you is what's on the outside and not what's on the inside. You are not what sin says you are. You are more. In fact, what he's going to say in the next chapter when he talks about power is that you are more than a conqueror. You're more. Like you, you can't just, you're more than, you're not just like we'll survive it and get through it somehow. Like you can kick Satan's butt. You're more. The question is, is that the life you want? And what we wrestle with in our head is, yeah, I want a life of freedom and hope and healing and joy and peace and patience and all that stuff. I want, I want a life of that. I do. I think we all do. But, we, but I really want these acts that lead to death. The only way that you would even see that those are valuable is that you would believe a lie that sin tells you. So why would you even go there? No, you're free to choose. You're free to choose. God's not gonna demand your choice. Just don't get mad when the choice doesn't work out well. When we choose acts that lead to death and it ends in death, don't get mad at God for that. Are you with me? Okay. But I got good news. You're not only human. You are a precious creation made by God to do incredibly great works that God put in a, set in advance for you to do. You are more than you could ever imagine in Christ. What we have to understand is that if we're going to believe anything different about ourselves, then that's choosing to acknowledge a lie that sin tells us. And I know that for some of us, we're like, well, I want to get there, but I'm not there, but I'm going to, and then, so I just, I guess I'll just have to fake it till I make it. Nope. No. Every time you say fake it till you make it, you reinforce the lie that sin says. You reinforce what sin says you are and what God says you're not. And the, and the thing is, God's right every time. Like, a hundred times out of a hundred, God's right. I wish, well, I don't wish, but I wish I could outthink God sometimes and like my way would be the right way. Have you ever been there? I mean, I ain't wish that, but it works out that God's always right. It's like he knows everything. Can't slip one thing past him. And believe me, I've tried. <laughs> so, so have you guys. So what we're going to do, I know you people, know you people, bunch of... Here's the problem. Here's the problem, guys. What happens is we, we believe that we have to be this thing that sin tells us, and so we work really, really hard to be that, and we completely miss what God has intended us for. We're going to work through some implications. So we're going to take communion together. Excuse me. <coughs> so those of you that are serving communion, I'd love for you to go back, grab that, and start passing it out.
Um, if you're new with us this morning, we have what's called an open table. And what that means is if you're willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, then we would invite you to um, partake in communion with us, okay? But while they're passing that out, we're gonna work through some implications. Probably lots more for you. There's just a few just to get the conversation started, okay? Implication number one, our personhood is the perfect union of soil and spirit. Sin tells you to believe the flesh side of you is everything. God invites our temporary flesh to be integrated into the eternal. God says there is a temporary side to you and there is eternal side to you. The, the, the invitation isn't to hate the temporary side. It's to choose to lay down its desires in order to use the temporary side for eternal purposes. That's where we begin to understand true freedom. You with me? It's like sitting in the exit row on a plane. I need a verbal yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I know this is church, but when I ask you a question, you can say something. All right, next implication. <clears throat> the law reveals God's nature so we can know what acts that lead to life look like and what acts that lead to death look like. It's not about keeping the rules. The law reveals to us pieces of who God is, right? We've talked about this before, but it's worth reviewing. We don't murder because God is life, not because God's trying to control us, but because God is life, right? We don't steal because God is generous, right? We don't cheat because God's honest. These are, this is the, the laws revealed to us God's nature. We don't covet because God provides. Do we trust that? If you really trust that God provides, then you don't have to covet, right? Am I right? Yes, good, good. Some of you guys are getting it. Yeah, you're like, this is about to get Pentecostal up in here. Woo! <laughs> yeah, yeah. That being said, when we choose to act outside of the law, it's not about the fact that we failed the law. It's about the fact that we chose to believe the lie that sin tells us. And we can fix that. We can fix that. Like, yeah, we can fix that. The issue of sin, the problem with sin isn't sin. The problem with sin is rebellion. It, it's that we rebel against our created purpose. Are you with me? The problem isn't the action. The problem is the heart behind it. Okay, next implication. Sin and self are not the same thing. Sin and self are not the same thing. You are not your mistakes. And I would take that even a step further. You are not a mistake. No matter what the world has taught you to believe about yourself, and it doesn't matter where it came from. If you're really interested in figuring that out, you can come sit in my office and we'll try to unravel it. It doesn't matter where it came from. There's a lot of us that have a tendency to believe that we're a mistake. Listen to me. You are not a mistake. And for a lot of years, I believed I was a mistake because I grew up in church and I didn't fit at all. I was like, I asked questions that people were like, what, what, what are you asking that question for? You're 10, you know? I was like, well, it's a pretty basic question. Like walking, talking snakes, shouldn't you have a problem with that? 
mean, I'm no, I'm no Einstein, but, you know, it's probably a pretty good question. Well, just sit down. You're being rebellious. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not being rebellious to be what God made me to be. God made me to ask questions. He made me to ask questions. And so I will do it. And, and I'll just tell you, just, just a little vision piece here. If you're looking for a church where you want to feel comfortable in your faith and you want it to be easy and fit into a nice little box, this will not be the church for you. Because we are going to challenge assumptions. And you may, you have total freedom to disagree with me. I am not God. I don't know if you know that. I need to state that. <laughs> you have total freedom to disagree with me. Right? But we're going to wrestle it together. We're going to wrestle it together because I think that when we do and we wrestle in love together, we find a better version of Jesus living in each of us. And that's really what we're after. So we wrestle, we ask questions, we challenge assumptions. We're like, that doctrine, that doctrine, you know, this doctrine is awesome. No, that doctrine sucks. Like we can do that stuff, right? And then we'll hug each other and go, and that conversation didn't matter at all. Are you with me? Because if we are going to be like the measure of a church is its doctrinal statement. Nope. Nope. The measure of a church is how well it looks like Jesus in the community. I think we ought to major on that. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Risky. Risky business to actually be Jesus in the community. It's crazy. Last implication. You do not have to work through the struggle alone. You have more to draw from than you would ever imagine. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what it means to have power in the Spirit. What does it mean to have this Spirit-led, Spirit-powered life? Okay? But here's what I want to share with you. I believe with every fiber of my being that every single one of you sitting in this room is completely jacked up. Maybe not completely, but like maybe 75.8%, something like that. You know why I know that? Because I am. Not that we're like all mess, 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 but every single one of us has got junk in our life. Every single one of us does. And we work so hard to look and act like we don't. Like, look at me, I got it figured out. N no. Number one, it's a lie. And number two, you really aren't fooling anybody. I mean, let's be honest. You really aren't fooling anybody. So what I would say is a whole lot more healthy for us all. Tell your story. Tell your story. Talk about where you're at. Talk about what you're doing. Talk about your struggles. Talk about where you've blown it. Talk about where you feel like you're inadequate and insecure. Talk about it. Talk. Now, don't, don't, you don't all have to do it like I do it. Stand up here in front of the, on the stage and be like, look at me in my life. You know, like, there's degrees of vulnerability, right? But everybody needs to have somebody. Like, I, I hear people say this to me, like, you're so authentic on the stage. I'm like, you should hear what I tell to my guys. Like, you know, we'll put it out there, you know? Um, and here's why. Because as I tell my story, the lies that sin tells me that I'm afraid to share, the what if they knew this about me? Oh, they would run away. What if they knew that about me? Oh, they would, those lies go away. And I begin to have power over my own story. 
Now, what a lot of us do is we choose to take power over our own story by saying, I'm going to choose whatever I want to choose, and that's that. But the problem is acts that lead to death still lead to death, and acts that lead to life still lead to life. Okay, so we can't miss that. We gain power over our story when we start to share it and talk about what's really going on with somebody. You got to do it with somebody safe, but you got to do it with somebody. This is one of the reasons why we have small groups, so that we can share our story, so we can know and be known right? It's also one of the reasons why I tell people in our one-on-one class, like, I don't, I don't get to be everybody's best friend. I know that people love it when their pastor does, shows up at all the, gra- I, there were five graduation parties that I missed this weekend in order to attend the ones that I attended. Um, and I love that we get to be a part of those. And I know that people love the, and pastor to show up at everything. I can't, I can't do it for everybody, right? Because if I did, then I would not be known by anybody. So I have six guys that look into my soul and they know me all the way to the bottom of my guts. And that may be wrong. I, maybe I should be able to have a higher relational capacity. That may be true. Probably it is true. But here's what I know. It's the only way that I know to keep me healthy because the worst thing that I could do is to go off the deep end, destroy my family and hurt this church right? Because we've started really well. Like the last, October will be nine years that we've been a church. The last nine years have been amazing. And we have watched lives change. And we have watched God do some crazy stuff. And the stories, I'm like, really? Like those are such cool stories that we're hearing and what God's doing and the opportunities that we're getting to minister in our community to people that are legitimately hurting that need to know that there is a God that gives a rip that they exist. Those opportunities are awesome and I love it and I love being a part of that and it'd be terrible for us to lose that. So I gotta be honest with somebody. Are you with me? So do you. You're not magically better than me. I'm not magically better than you either. We're all in the same boat. We all got junk, so let's put it on the table so we can deal with it. You will then experience more power over the lies that sin tells you than you ever thought that there was to be had. Jesus is a working model for us on how we orient our life around things. He modeled for us that we lay our lives down, that we don't try to put on errors, put on facades, put on fake, put on stuff. We don't try to do that because it doesn't work. What we do is we spend our lives, we lay them down, we sacrifice ourselves in the well-being of others, and somewhere along the way, we find that there's more life to be had there than we ever thought possible. That's what communion represents, Jesus laying his life down for us, and so each week we remind ourselves that this is our objective, that as we lay our life down, Jesus says, those who lose their life for my sake, they will find it. So what we want to do is let go of the facade life, the lie that sin tells us, in order to take hold of the life that really is life. It reminds us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him this morning. And in the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him.
Lord, give us the courage to be vulnerable. Lord, give us the courage to lay our lives down to the, the things that we've tried so hard to define our lives by. Give us the courage to let go of what sin says we are so that we can take hold of the truth that's more beyond anything that we could ever experience on our own. Lord, I know that the life that you have for us isn't just different, it's better. So help us to trust that in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Real Life. If you have any questions or feedback about this message, please email comment at liferotp.com. All of us here at Real Life would like to ask you to please consider joining us for Willow Creek's Global Leadership Summit coming up August 11th and 12th at our Moscow campus. We are excited to once again be a premier host site for this event. And we believe that when leaders get better, our community gets better too. For more information on the Global Leadership Summit and to register, visit liferotp.com GLS. A special rate is available for members and regular attenders of Real Life as well. Romans, the declaration will continue next Sunday. Until then, be blessed and have a great week.